So we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through saying, uh, um, 7. <laughs> I just already started reading it. Um, it says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all the dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I think that's it. Thank you, Vitaly, worship team. Thank you, Bree. Good morning, Grace Life Church. You're wondering, why are we not in Romans? We'll be back to Romans. This is, a, this is a leadership update for our church. It's exciting. This is the time when some elders who have served for a long time are going to get a reprieve. Some of them are entering a new season of ministry. Some of them opportunities have opened up vocationally, and we'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. But today is the day when we open up nominations for new lay elders. And so uh, I'll talk about that throughout the sermon, but that's why we're not in Romans. This is pretty urgent for our church. We don't want to prolong it because when we do that, things, we, we, we want people to be able to take their time to think, to pray. Uh, because those of you who are members of Grace Life Church, our bylaws state that it falls on the membership to nominate candidates to be lay elders. So this is a really important message for you, especially, to listen to, to understand. If you have any questions, to approach me, one of our other lay elders, uh, and talk about that. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into this text together, okay? Heavenly Father, we, we stop, we pause, we acknowledge you, we do that at the end of our service, Lord. We have a Selah moment, I pray we could just have a... A Selah moment right now to reflect on, on what passage Bree read and what she said, Lord, about you have risen. Indeed, you have risen, Lord. You are the Lord of all creation. You are the Lord of your church, Lord. We are your family. We are your field. We are the flock of your pasture, Lord. We are the building. We are the bride. We are the body of Christ. You are the cornerstone, the head, the chief shepherd. We are under your watchful eye, your watchful care, Lord, and we want to conduct ourselves in accordance with the instruction and the pattern you gave us and you left us with, Lord. I pray that the leadership of this church and every church would line up with the qualifications that you gave, Lord. That's not up for discussion. It's not up for grabs. It's not up for being adapted or tweaked or adjusted or updated in any way, Lord. It is what you have left for us and help us to gladly surrender to that and, and know that, Lord, that reflects your heart, your wisdom, your will, 
and I'm grateful that you gave me the opportunity today to talk about these things. We don't get to do that very often at Grace Life Church, so please, Lord, I know this is going to feel more like a, a lecture or a Bible study or a lesson or a family talk, but I pray it would be powerful. It would leave a lasting impression on the people's minds. This is right out of your word, and you've told us that all scripture is profitable and maybe some people who showed up are thinking, man, if I would have known this is what was talked about today, this doesn't apply to me, I wouldn't have came. That's the very person, Lord, you want to address this to today. I pray you would make this passage come alive and be applicable, even if I f fall short, Lord, in my efforts to do that. And I pray you would help me, Lord. I feel great today, but my, my throat, Lord, is sore and, and my voice has been faltering this week, so help us to get through this service together. I pray for the children who some of whom are in the back hearing the gospel today, Lord, every week. We pray for them, Lord, open their, their little ears and their little eyes and their little hearts and their little minds to, to understand the truth and the beauty and the mystery and the power of who you are. You're saving rescue, Lord, uh, for little children to come to you. Make it an easy, smooth on-ramp for them to come to the Savior and give their hearts to him, Lord, and understand what his kingdom is like. It's not like any of the kingdoms of this earth because he's... He's not like any ruler on this earth we've ever seen. You are the one who came to give his life. You're the servant who came to rule and the ruler who came to serve, Lord. What a pattern you left us with. Um, Lord, I pray that for the other churches in this area this morning, Lord, we don't have a corner on the truth. We have many friends in ministry this morning preaching from pulpits around Florida and around the world. We lift them up to you, Lord. I especially lift up uh, Emmanuel Presbyterian Church to you and Pastor Darren today, and we think of our friend... Uh, Pastor Tyler, who's there serving, I pray for them, Lord. Help them be faithful to the gospel today to open up your word. Uh, I pray that their word would, would uh, run swift and smoothly amongst the congregation. Thank you for their generosity and allowing our students to meet there and for our church to gather there as we need space to pray and conduct our grow meetings in the summer. Prosper them, Lord. Bless them. Thank you that we have a network of like-minded churches. And I pray for the others, Lord. I think of my brother Jeff today and... and uh, Ormond by the Sea, Grace Life Beachside, Lord. Just since the beginning of, of Easter week, Lord, he's just been under spiritual attack, and usually that's because you're doing powerful, amazing things. I pray that you would lift him up today, anoint him to preach your word. Uh, may you be present there in power, uh, and, and may the people leave changed. And I pray the same for us today, Lord. Manifest your presence to us, Lord, powerfully through our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's not good. There we go. <laughs> Sermon's not over. It's just getting started. Lord, you're trying to tell me something here. All right. Uh, well, just a quick update. I got word from Bill and Christy Roth last night. Uh, we, I, I should have made time last week to pray over them in front of you. They just arrived about 11.20 p.m. last night in Little Rock, Arkansas. They felt compelled to go and join the efforts of Samaritan Ministries, I think it's called After the Storm, as you know, some violent, deadly tornadoes hit Arkansas, and uh, their hearts felt compelled to go and serve, that's where Bill and Christy's heart has always been, they're going to be there from, uh, the th through, thank you, Sunday through Sunday, that's right, through the 23rd, and then they're going to spend time with family in Missouri, so for about three Sundays, you won't see them, that's where they're at, please pray for them, lift them up, and uh, we'll be able to reunite with them soon, so here we go. 1 Timothy 3, talking about leadership today. If you were in charge of running a business, and maybe a business that's operated by a non-believer to make this work, okay? Mike, look at you. <laughs> Chick-fil-A don't count, all right? 
If you're, if you're in charge of running, operating a business, and you have a secular mindset, be honest with yourself, what kind of a person would you look for to manage, run, and operate that company? Maybe think CEO. What qualities, what attributes, what gifting would you be looking for? Well, I want to submit to you that you would be looking for a type A, go get them person. Because most businesses, if they're honest, I know we all have a website on our business and we say we're all about this and this and quality of product. And yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that when I go to Dollar Tree and get a toy for my kids and it's broken before they get home. I get that. We're all about quality, right? Or are we? We're about profit, right? Staying in the, my elders have to remind me, Cliff, it's staying in the black, right? Not the red. Red's bad, black, okay. It's about staying in the black, turning a profit margin, keeping things on the upswing. We want that chart to sweep steep and up to the right. And so in order to turn a profit and to maintain uh, profitability, as they say, in our business, we got to have people that are maybe aggressive, they're get or done, right? They're not soft. They're like type A, bam, going to get it done. In fact, I don't enjoy the research at all. That's actually a lie. These are bullies. I try to combine them. These are and they even call them essential. That's even like elevating it, right? Not just these are good, these are desirable. These are essential qualities. CEO type person. Can you guys see those? Because again, I can't. It's all right. Ability to collaborate, to delegate. You've got to be innovative. You've got to be creative. You've got to have resilience. You've got to have grit, vision, passion, decisiveness, charisma, self-confidence. And you've got to have the ability to network, connect with other people, other businesses. Or you're not worth your weight in salt as a CEO or a business manager. That's what Google says. And Google never lies, right? Those are the essential, those are the essential qualities but I want to submit to you that we have a list in the New Testament, several, several places from several different authors, and I just want to call it the Bible's God's Word, written by people and uses their vocabulary, their personality, but he inspires, the Spirit does, and leads. So this is his word, and just about none of those qualities made God's list. Why is that? You know, one of my favorite movies, as you know, I love movies from the 90s, right? This is just almost made the 90s, 2000, 2001, Gladiator. How many people saw Gladiator? All right, good, man, you're with me. Finally, somebody who's seen a movie I've seen, okay? There is a powerful scene in that movie, and it is when Richard Harris's character, the old gray-headed Caesar, uh, Marcus Aurelius, I think is his name, he's telling his son, uh, Commodus, who thinks he's going to be the next Caesar, right? He thinks he's going to succeed his dad, and his dad's telling him basically the bad news. Like, look, my powers are going to pass on to somebody else, namely Russell Crowe's character, the gladiator himself, Maximus, right? So he's telling him this news, and here's, here's the quote. I didn't have a PowerPoint slide for this. I'm sorry. It was last minute. I just thought of it. But he says, his dad says this to his son, Thomas, are you ready to do your duty for Rome? Yes, father. And he says, you will not be emperor. And you can just imagine walking Phoenix, man. He's just an exceptional actor. He says, which wiser older man is to take my place? And he says, my powers will pass to Maximus. And he says, Maximus? And Marcus says, my decision disappoints you. And then Commodus, Thomas, Commodus says this. Man, this is powerful. You wrote to me once, Father, listing the four chief virtues, wisdom, justice, 
fortitude and temperance. As I read the list, I knew I had none of them. But I have other virtues, Father. Ambition. That can be a virtue when it drives us to excel. Resourcefulness. Courage. Perhaps not the battlefield kind, but there are many forms of courage. Devotion to my family, to you. But none of my virtues were on your list. And then just seconds after that, he kills his father by suffocating him in a pillow. And he names himself Caesar. You guys remember that? So much for devotion to family, right? Whatever happened to that? Ambition can be a good virtue. I guess it can. It drove you to kill your father. And I say all of this, I, say, I use that illustration for this. A lot of the virtues that we see in the world today didn't make God's list. Does that mean they're useless? No. No, they're not useless. There are tons of qualities and characteristics that a lot of people have. But God, when it comes to leading his church, this is his church. This is his body. This is his field. This is his flock. This is his family. It's precious to God. The church is precious. You remember whenever Paul, Saul turned Paul, was persecuting the church, and he was blinded in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, fell off his donkey or horse, whatever it was, he was, fell to the ground, was blinded, and he heard a voice, and it was Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me? No, no, no. Jesus misunderstood, right? He's persecuting the church, and Jesus says, you're persecuting me. You mess with my church, you mess with my bride, you mess with me. So who do we belong to? We belong to Jesus. We're his. We're his bride. So he gets priority when it comes time to pick the people who would lead his church. And, and there's a word for that. It's elders. And, and there's a word in the New Testament that's used interchangeably to mean the same office. Bishop, pastor, teacher, overseer, elder. There's, there's two or three different terms they may use in Greek, but they all mean the same thing. They're used in the same identical way, even by different writers, by Peter, by Paul, by John, and even by Jesus. So if we're thinking about a business, we have certain characteristics in mind. And you would too if we're honest. Of course you want to. I'd want, if I had my own business, man, I'd want to go get her so that I could provide for my family. But let me ask you another question, okay? I have two daughters, and one day maybe God's going to provide them with a husband. Maybe not. That's God's prerogative, right? As I'm thinking about my daughters and their potential husbands, they're going to be a bride one day if it's God's will or will, and I hope that happens. What kind of a young man would I be looking for? What kind of characteristics? And I would submit to you, if we're honest, the characteristics you would want in a son-in-law would be different than the characteristics you would want in a leader who takes over your business. Why is that? Because you're asking two different questions, right? For the business, you're asking, can this guy get it done? Can he make me money? Can he keep this business afloat? But when it comes time to your daughter, what's the question you're going to be asking? Can I trust him? Will he take care of her? Will he love her? Will he serve her? I don't care if my son-in-law is rich. I mean, maybe deep down. No, I was <laughs> Come on, you were thinking it. You were thinking it. I'm going to strike it rich, man. I'm gonna get, I can retire at 50, right? Two years. <laughs> no, if we're honest and if we're thinking correctly, you would want a young man that you can trust, that loves your daughter. And all the other things are just peripheral. They're marginal. They're bonuses, right? If he's tall, dark, and handsome, if it, whatever it is. And this is the bride of Christ. It's his bride. He gave us a list, and that was the passage that we just heard about earlier. 
debris red. So here's, here's the outline for today. Um, here's the outline. We're going to answer a question with this outline. Oh, boy. Here we go. Hey, can you help me out up there? Give me my outline. This, you guys are so patient. You know, technology is a gift, and it's also a curse sometimes, isn't it? So here we go. Here's the outline for today. Who can serve as elders? And that word elder means overseer. It's a shepherd term. That's the title of the sermon today is shepherds. Who can watch over God's flock? Who does he want? What characteristics must they have? So we're going to use this passage she read. And don't be, don't be intimidated now. There's 16 characteristics. You're like, oh, my word. Three points, he takes an hour. What's he going to take with 16? I'm going to, we're going to bunch it into three different things, okay? Three different answers to one question. Who can serve? And the first answer is men with desire. Because that's the, the very first characteristic. Whoever fires office of an over deserves a good work or a work. The second outline here is men with character. Men who are above reproach, who have integrity. And that's going to be the longer point. If you keep up with that kind of thing, I know you don't. And the third and final point is going to be uh, men with a gifting, men who are able to teach. So it, you'll notice here that desire and gifting are bookmarks to something that's the most important in the middle is character. And I'm going to explain to you why that's important, why you should care about that, and why that matters in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in as the church in 2023. Because I will submit to you that the first and the last are, are like a blip on the map. They're important. They're there. And, but mostly that's what people focus on in 2023. And the middle gets somehow covered up and lost when it's the most important thing. So that's our outline for, that's our outline for today. We're asking the question, who can serve as elders? Uh, who can lead God's flock? So I'm going to try one more time, guys. Be patient to, to pull this up. Okay, here we go. Let's see if it works now. Titus, chapter 1, verse 5. This is a letter that Paul wrote to another young man named Titus. Titus was a Gentile. The passage that Bree read from earlier was Timothy. He's a young man who's a Jew. So Paul, these are called, we call these pastoral epistles. Paul, the church planner, is writing to younger protégés that he trained. He's writing to Timothy, a Jew, who's at Ephesus. He's writing to Titus, who's a Gentile, uh, who is at Crete, two different places hundreds of miles apart, two different cultures, two different languages, and he says virtually the same thing when he gives them a list. But he also says this to Titus. He says, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. Crete was a big island, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So here, here's a takeaway before we jump into this outline. Here's a takeaway. Until we appoint elders in a church... Uh, there's still a level of disorder that's there. Somehow this appointing elders that meet the qualifications that God gave establishes order in a church. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's why we do this at Grace Life. This is not a cultural preference. This is not something that's outdated, that's ancient, that's archaic. And like, goodness, shake your hayseed out of your head, Pastor. Let's get up with the times. No, this is, this is still God's will. I would submit to you that many, maybe even most, that may be a stretch, Many defects in a church, unresolved conflict, uh, issues of abuse, issues of, of scandal happen and they can be pointed back to either defective leadership, 
meaning leadership that did not meet qualifications, uh, or leaders who did at one time and who somehow were disqualified and, and yet tolerated to still remain in a position they had no business being in, or no leadership at all. Just like every man for himself, uh, we'll just have different people show up and lead as they see fit. So this is important. Paul told Titus, until you do this, until you uh, appoint elders in every town as I directed you, there's a level of disorder and risk that you run. You're jeopardizing the church. You're putting her at risk and in danger. So what's interesting to me is that we never have an exact pattern or detail of how do you, how do you appoint elders? That's a gray area. We know the qualifications for elders, which we're going to talk about. How do you appoint them? Don't know. God kind of gave us freedom. He gave us wisdom. Uh, and so as elders at Grace Life Church, we have a set of bylaws. People say, ooh, that sounds boring. Yeah, I know. It sounds boring to me too. But we have them for a reason. And the way that we appoint lay elders at this church is a process called nomination. And if you are a member of Grace Life Church, you have the privilege and the responsibility to be able to nominate men that you believe meet these qualifications. We'll, we'll talk more about that at the very end of the service. Matt Carr has been gracious enough to print up some, some little pieces of paper. We don't, we don't uh, nominate people anonymously. We write our name on there, and then we write who we want to nominate. And you can nominate, I guess, as many people as you'd like that meet these qualifications, and you're going to drop it in the offering plate. That's the way that we're going to appoint lay elders. We're going to give you three weeks from today to do that. We're not going to rush it. This is not something that should be rushed. We want you to think about this sermon. Download it later if you forget. Download the notes. I'll, I'll give these to Megan. She can post them. Uh, but you have three weeks to pray about this. And we actually have a nomination review committee that we use. This is a group of, of, of uh, men and women. They're not elders. They, they uh, review the nominations, the candidates that have been nominated. And they compile a list of people they believe are approved and meet these. And they submit that list to the elders. And we take it from there. So we have a nomination review committee that consists of six people. I lead that group. So you're going to nominate potential candidates for elders. The nomination review committee is going to review those, and they're going to submit a list to the existing elders. We'll go from there. And I'm going to I'm going to update you on this whole process. There. So there's all that. So outline uh, slide number one, point number one. Men who have a calling. Men who have a calling. Men who have uh, the, the desire. That's what it says. Let's, let's look at this together. I'll, I'll pull these scriptures back up for you so that you can see them. This saying is trustworthy. Man, if we just stop right there, that would tell us a lot about, should we update this list? Uh, should, should, Paul, should Paul be open to a more progressive and tweaked and adapted list? You know, I told you earlier uh, I think it's, it's interesting to me, in fact, let me put this up, let me put this up if you can see this. Can you guys see that? It's kind of hard to see. The one on the list, it was written to Timothy, who was a Jew and who was in Ephesus. The one on the right was written to Titus, who was a Gentile and who was in Crete. Hundreds of miles apart, different language, different culture, different place, virtually an identical list. And you say, okay, great, so what? Well, here's the so what. There are a lot of people today that say, you know what? Paul had cultural blind spots. You know, this was 2,000 years ago. This was on another continent, another co country, another place. We've grown so much as human beings now, right? We're so much more open 
to ideas and were more progressive. And so uh, I find it offensive a little bit. Paul left a lot of people out of that list. So we would have a different list. No, we wouldn't. I mean, we, we may. You, you may have in your mind what you think would be better. But Paul's already shown us uh, uh, this, this, this. He, he talked to the Corinthians and he said something once. He said, this is my role in all the churches. Isn't that interesting? Every church, every time, every place, Every people group, it doesn't matter. God's will is God's will, it's fixed. We don't update or improve that list, God forbid. Perish the thought, right? It's hard for me to even say that. Hey, we need to really improve. How can you improve on perfection? Not that we're perfect as elders, we're not, but God's list is perfect, perfect. So the, the, the first thing we saw that is that this is trustworthy. In other words, you can trust this. You don't need to second guess this list. This is what God's will is, God never changes. I, the Lord, remain the same. I change not, right? Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, well, maybe, not, and forever. <laughs> no, there's, it's, that's not open-ended. It's a punctuation mark, exclamation mark. So this saying is trustworthy. If anyone, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good task. And, and let me just tell you this. When you nominate a person, before we do anything else, I mean, there are some obvious ways we're going to be able to tell if this person is qualified. You know, if you nominate my, my toddler, okay? If you nominate Tyler Clayton, he's six. Six. Hasn't really professed faith in Christ yet. He's curious. He's asking questions. He doesn't, he obviously doesn't meet the qualifications. So I'm not going to like rip it up and be angry. I'm going to be like, oh, that's cute. And then throw it away, okay? So, <laughs> and even Tyler may say, dad, I want to be an elder. <laughs> Maybe someday, son. We'll see, right? So, if anyone uh, aspires to the office of overseer, so here's, here's what I was getting at. But the second thing we're going to do after we, and there's a word for that. What do you call that? Uh, what do paramedics do? Triage, right? After we triage this list, okay, this obviously, here's the second thing we're going to do. I'm going to go to that person or a member of the nomination review committee, and we're going to ask this question. Do you have aspirations to become an elder? Is that a desire of yours? Right? Now, in history, we see that some people were, uh, were helped along. There were some of the, the Puritans and Reformers. They ran from that. And some other Reformers said, you know, God's curse on you if you don't take up this mantle. Uh, so there's, maybe there's some persuasion involved. But look, there's this inner compelling desire that I believe is a calling from God to pursue this task. And every elder, every pastor would have a testimony to that. Like, yeah, I felt this overwhelming desire. Look. God gave me a little bit of a gift to be a carpenter. That's what I did before I became a pastor. But when God's inner compelling call came to me to be a pastor, I could no longer do carpenter work and construction as much as I love it. And I love seeing a job completed. I love working with my hands. I love seeing things come to a completion. But it left me dissatisfied. I knew God had something else for me. He had something else. I, I even fought it. I'm like, I don't want to do this. This is hard. This looks difficult. It's, there's an inner compelling desire, a compulsion that you can't really explain unless you've felt it before. So that's the first thing to ask. That's the first qualification is there has to be this calling on their life, a calling on their life. And, and the work is called beautiful. The word means noble. It means beautiful. It means it's an orderly work. It's a good thing. It's not a shameful thing. It's like, man, God's called me to be a pastor. Man, I could have been, a, you know, something else. It's like, no, this is a beautiful work. It's amazing. What a gift, you know? Um, so that's, that's one of the first things. And it literally means 
to reach out. If a person sets his heart on this calling, that is a good thing. He longs for it. It's a beautiful work. So this is, uh, there's, there's nothing self-serving about this desire, but it is a task. It is work, and it's reserved for a man who's not after the title. He's not after just the position. He's not after rank or authority, but the work. If we're called shepherds, you know, shepherd was not this somehow commendable uh, social title back then. Shepherds weren't really held in high esteem. Um, it was dirty work. You were among sheep. You would smell like the vocational calling you had, right? It's not for the lazy. It's not for the apathetic person. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the double-minded. This requires sacrifice. It's not a position for a procrastinator or somebody who's indifferent. The man who pursues this is driven by a compelling desire and the inner desire. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 that an elder exercises oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Paul is saying the same thing that he says, Paul is saying the same thing to Timothy. This is an inner desire to pursue this work. And whether it's the home, whether it's the church, or whether it's the world, there's no duplicity for the men that God has called to do this. They're the same person. Wherever he is, whatever he's doing, whoever he's with. So that's point one, desire. And here's the second point, is gifting. It's gifting. And these are in order, the order I put them in for a reason. If we read on down the list, uh, it says he is apt to teach. He's, at, he's able to teach. He has a skill set. He is able to set forth the principles of Christianity and explain the gospel and defend the gospel in a way that you can understand, right? It doesn't mean he has this amazing, overwhelming, articulate, wax eloquent kind of thing where he can fill auditoriums and just dazzle people. That's not what that means. It means he is able to set forth the mysteries of the gospel and to defend them. He's able to detect heresy and call it out. He has to be able to do that so that he can protect the flock from false doctrine, from error, and from being misled, okay? But what I want to make clear is that some elders may not be in the pulpit hardly ever. They may not even enjoy teaching, but they're able to do it. That's why uh, there's a scripture in 1 Timothy, uh, I think it's chapter 5, and it says, let the elders, uh, let the elders who, who labor well in teaching be considered worthy of double honor. So what does that mean? That means some elders labor in teaching. Some don't. Some elders don't, don't teach much. We have, we have myself and four other lay elders here. Some of them have been up here and doing announcements and praying and maybe leading communion, but some of them have never preached a sermon. That's okay. They're still qualified. I guarantee you they're able to, or they wouldn't be an elder here. That's part of the qualification, okay? So those are the, the two bookmark qualities, and, and, and the way I read and interpret this passage, they have an inner compulsion, a desire, a calling upon their life that God puts there, and they have a gifting that I also believe God puts there. They're called to the office, and they're gifted to be able to teach, to be able to detect false doctrine, to be able to explain and defend uh, the mysteries of the gospel. Here is the biggest one. They are men with godly character. Now, man, I, I know we're all visual learners, so I want to put this up for you. You know how many squares are in that? 16 squares. So consider each one of those squares to be a requirement. 
a qualification, if you will, for somebody to serve as an elder in a church. Here, in the top left corner, are the two we just talked about. A calling, which is a desire, uh, and a gifting, an ability. All the rest of that that you see in yellow is about character. Character. You guys see that? Okay, maybe you think in volume, maybe you don't. Maybe you're a linear thinker, so let me put it this way. Tip off to all you construction workers out there, okay? Sorry for the metric system lovers. We're going with the inch today. <laughs> uh, there are, man, I didn't think this through how I was going to say this. Do you see that first notch there, one-sixteenth of an inch? How many of those are in an inch? Very good. You passed the test. There are 16 of those, right? So this is an eighth. On the left is an eighth. Well, that's two-sixteenths of an inch. Those are the first two characteristics we talked about. Inner desire, or calling, and then gifting. All the rest in the yellow are character. It's all about character. And you say, why are you telling me this? Why are you sharing this with me? Because as a pastor, I want to help you understand what's going on in the world and what's going on in the church. Here's what's happened. Here's what we've said. If a person wants to be a pastor or an elder, and if a person has this gift to be able to talk, then let them do it. Then let them do it. And you know what's gotten eclipsed or marginalized or maybe buried altogether? That yellow right there or this yellow right there. And guys, it has created and wreaked havoc in the church because the things that God cares about the most are the yellow. Now, he cares about the others, but, I mean, we have to be open. If God gave us a list and there's 16 bullet points and you care about two of them and the rest you ignore, we got a major problem on our hands. And I can guarantee you this, you show me a church or a Christian organization that is led by leaders who have the two things up in the top left and the rest are either ignored uh, or despised even, and I'll show you a church headed for a disaster. And I got to be honest, since COVID came out, man, we've seen some blow-ups. I don't need to give you statistics. I don't need to name names. I don't need to put pictures up there. You guys are thinking intelligent people, and I'm not here to, to shame or distract you with that. It grieves my heart, and no doubt it grieves the heart of our Lord. And there's a reason for this list, and there's a reason we honor it. If somebody has this amazing articulate ability to fill a stadium up because they get the gift of gab, and maybe they feel like, man, God's called me to do this, I want to do it, or my mom told me I was called or whatever, uh, but they're not humble, they don't have self-control, they don't manage their family well, we're going to look at all of these, then God says they're not qualified, they don't need to be there. And you do both them and the church a disservice by putting them there and leaving them there. Right? That's a major problem. And I don't ever, listen guys, God gave, just to share my heart, God gave us a model and a list of how he wants his bride to be cared for. And I'm going to honor that. As long as I have breath in my body and I have a title of lead pastor here, I'm going to fiercely protect that with all my might. And I'm going to do my utmost to make sure that we have lay elders. And, and let me explain lay elders to you. That I'm going to do my best to make sure we have lay elders that meet that qualification. And the reason this is important for you is because you're part of that. We are amongst, Peter said, let the elders who serve, excuse me, Peter said, shepherd the flock of God, talking to elders and pastors, to which you are among. We are among the flock. We're not above the flock. We're among you. Some of us lead community groups. Some of us teach. Some of us have serving gifts, speaking gifts. We're amongst you. And the reason this is important, because if you see something, you hear something, you detect something that 
calls into question these qualifications, you need to be prayerful about, serious about that, and, and come to me or come to one of the other elders. Now, look, we're not perfect. Of course, there's times we lose our temper. There's times we're not self-controlled. There's times we misspeak. I've done it. I, goodness, I'm not, if we're only looking for people who perfectly meet those, then Jesus is the only qualified elder, right? And we can all go home and just read the Bible. <laughs> um, and I hope that's making sense. feels a little bit clumsy to say it that way. Uh, but here we are, men with godly character. And, and, and the, way I would, the way I would summarize this point is that they're above reproach. It even says that a little bit later. Above reproach. That means here's reproach, and they're above it. My wife says something all the time to our kids. She's serving in the back so I can say it. We can make fun of her together, right? She goes, that's beyond disgusting. That's her favorite phrase. When you use a phrase so much, it loses its power and meaning, right? She'll see a kid, like, touching something on the counter. That's beyond disgusting. And I'll say, kids, did you hear your mom? Here's disgusting. Here's what you just did. It's beyond it, right? Okay, here's reproach, and here's a person qualified to serve as an elder or lay elder or pastor. They're above it. What's that mean? They don't have a reproach upon their name. They haven't brought the bride of Christ into disrepute. They haven't given the enemies of the church occasion to blaspheme. Right? They are men who are above reproach. That means they're not, that's a, that's a criminal term in Greek. It means they're not able to be held. You can throw them in jail and say, hey, man, we got five accusations against you. And the people say, you go ahead, put him in there. You can't hold him, though. He ain't guilty. That's what that word means, above reproach in Greek. It means you can't hold them. It means it doesn't stick. You got this accusation, and it's like the first snowfall in Arkansas. You do your best to pack it, but it's non-accumulative. Have you ever heard that word? Anybody ever live in an area that's four seasons and it snows? And they say, it snowed today, and you're a kid, and you go, yay, we're going to get out of school. And they say, sorry, kids, it didn't accumulate. You know what that means? You're going to school. It's just powder. It's nothing. It doesn't stick. You try to throw a snowball, and it hits somebody in the back, and just pound them, and it stick to them, and like get down their neck. Uh, man, I hope this illustration makes sense. It doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. Above reproach, it means it won't stick, can't be held. That's what that means. You can put them in jail, but you'll have to release them. There's no corroborating witnesses. It's a life that bears up under public and private scrutiny. Again, it doesn't mean sinless or perfection or nobody but Jesus would, would qualify, but it does mean this, above scandalous reproach, a good standing, listen, in the community, in the church, and at home. That's what it means. So here's the first one, husband of one wife. What's that mean? It means elders aren't flirts. They are not cheats, they're not enslaved to pornography, they don't have a history of infidelity or unfaithfulness. And there's a present tense with that verb, it means the person that he's married to right now, he's faithful to. He is taking those vows serious to love and cherish this woman and this woman alone. In Greek it literally means one, a one woman man, a one woman man. And I love it man because Paul does something here with this first quality that unfortunately has gotten lost in a pile of arguments and disputes and disagreements. Here's what he does. He's talking about a faithful leader. But he doesn't begin with how faithful the leader is to his boss or to his friends or even to his church. Where does he start? Starts in the home. What does that tell you? He starts at George Whitfield. I was reading his biography and somebody asked him like, hey, can you tell me the, qual can you tell me, uh, the qualities of Mr. Uh, Wesley, and he said, I don't know. I don't live with him. 
He said, ask his wife, ask his children if he has any. They live with him. Because we can put on a face. Oh, we can put on a face, can't we? And I got to be honest, sometimes if you were riding with me on the way to church, I got six kids, let me give you context, all right? All young, mostly. <laughs> you think, man, that guy's going to get up and preach after that? <clears throat> but hey, I do repent, and my kids are very forgiving, and you are too, I'm grateful. Where does God begin this list? At home, with his covenant relationship with his wife. And by the way, he ends the list with how an elder, if he has children, treats his children. Does he provoke them? Does he, ra does he have a rage problem? Is he a hulk? Right? Does he fly off the handle? Are his kids walking on eggshells? Is his wife walking on eggshells? Not qualified. Not qualified. I can't think of a better place to begin than at the home. Is he faithful to his spouse? Does he keep his vows? Does he take care of her? Does he cherish her? Does he honor her? Does he love her? If he doesn't, then go no further. He doesn't meet the qualifications. The emphasis is on present character. Ligon Duncan said his marriage is biblical, which means it's heterosexual, it's monogamous, and it's faithful. That's what it means. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that uh, I don't even want to say there's a good argument. It's, it's not even an argument. It's that uh, elders are called to be men. They're called to be male because it lists, the example is leading your home. And we know that God gave us Men and women are equal in God's eyes, equally valuable, whether it's spiritually, physically, God loves us the same, God honors us the same, and they also have different roles. They have different roles in the home, they have different roles at church, and when God has given the qualifications for elders and pastors and teachers and overseers, and he says manages his home well, husband of one wife, leads his home, manages his home, and all the pronouns, I know the whole world's talking about pronouns right now. Uh, all the pronouns in that passage are masculine. All the verbs in that passage are masculine. So that's why we, we say it's not really an, an argument. It's very clear that God has reserved this role for pastors. And that's why, listen, guys, can I just share my heart for a minute? Some of you see, like, Bree came up here earlier, and she read Scripture, and she welcomed you. And sometimes a woman will come up here and will pray uh, and will give the announcements or even share a testimony none of those none of those uh, tasks in any way is jeopardizes this list. there's only one thing that a woman cannot do at, at this church she cannot serve as an elder because that's what scripture prohibits a woman from doing right but everything else in the Bible a woman is able to do there's qualifications that are attached to it when a woman prays when a woman uh, speaks or encourages she does so the Bible says with uh, her head covered with Authority, we, we, we went through 1 Corinthians years ago and talked about what's that mean, what that means. That means she's not rebellious. She's not out from under this umbrella uh, of authority and leadership that God has given in the home and in the church. So I say that to you because sometimes I want to go above and beyond and say like, hey, look, it's okay for, for women to read scripture. It's okay for women to, to pray. It's okay for women to share their testimony. God has, has reserved the office of an overseer and an elder to be a man. And I know that, listen, man, it's 2023. Increasingly, that's going to be problematic for people, guys. But, but God, God gave us that for a reason, and we honor that. And I defend that, you know. It's when people ask, hey, can a woman do this? I always try to back up and say, look, before we talk about what a woman can't do, uh, let's talk about Christianity and women in general. 
What did Jesus Christ do and what did Christianity do to elevate women and show their value, their worth, their dignity, their honor? A ton of stuff that we've talked about before. That would be the same thing as saying in the garden, God gave us the garden and God gave us all these lush trees and vegetation and fruit and animals. And we say, how come I can't eat that tree over there? And God, God's like face plant. Like, can we talk about all the things you can do, right? It's the same idea. This is reserved. This is reserved for men. And the first characteristic, characteristic is uh, one woman man. Years ago, uh, I read about a man that you would probably know. I don't need to mention his name. He, was, he led a well-known ministry. He was gifted in preaching the Bible. And he was considered at one time to be the most in, one of the most influential pastors and Bible teachers in America. Um, his emphasis was on suffering, and he helped a lot of people. There were never any scandals, sexual or financial, uh, that followed him. However, years ago, his wife filed for a divorce, and it shocked everyone. And questions arose. People were saying, what happened? Was there an affair? Was there abuse? Was there addiction? And the answer was no. But she finally wrote a letter to her church that became public, explaining her reasons for wanting a divorce. This is what she said. She said, I have experienced many years of discouraging disappointments and marital conflict. My husband, in effect, abandoned our marriage. He chose his priorities, and I have not been one of them. So listen, that's very serious. One of the most subtle forms of abandonment is ministry over marriage. And that's not good. It's hard for an elder to meet the other qualifications if, this person, if the person closest to you claims that you've abandoned her, right? And you chose other priorities, even if that other priority was not a woman, but a ministry. And all of our elders are held to that. That's one of the first places we go. If the person who is nominated as an elder uh, is married, we talk to their wives. And say, hey, look, just you and us. <laughs> just you and us. Your husband's not here right now. Do you believe your husband is qualified to be an elder? Here are the qualifications. Uh, he manages his own household well. He carries these, this idea of governing, leading, and giving direction to the family. He keeps his children submissive. And the question there, is he tender? Is he gentle? Is he present? Is he faithful to share the gospel with his children? Does he discipline them? Or does he provoke them to wrath? Are his kids out of control and rebellious? So how we manage our home is just important that we manage. Because listen, some people may manage their home with an iron fist. And be a very angry and fearful person and threaten their kids. And that's not good. It's not meeting the qualifications. The next three qualifications deal, deal with self-discipline. And these, these next few are going to go quick, okay? You guys are doing great. Sober-minded. That means unmixed. It means unmixed. It means you're alert. You are alert. You're attentive. You're watchful. You're clear-headed. You're an objective thinker. You're thinking clearly without clouded judgment. You're discerning. You're able to make decisions. Are they self-controlled? That means are you sensible? Are you calm? Are you control of your spirit? You're not rash. You're not impulsive. You're not led by your feelings or emotions. It doesn't mean we don't have them. It just means they're not driving the car. If your feelings and emotions drive the car, where will you end up? In the ditch. Guys, that was a test. I've said that before. You know that already. Are they respectable? Do you have a well-ordered life? Are you disciplined? Are you organized? Do you conceal a secret addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to gambling? Do you lose control with ang anger, with spending, 
with speech? Do you talk too much and nobody can shut you down? Have you ever met somebody like that and they don't know it? They talk, they don't just talk a lot. They talk all the time. And they, do, they really don't realize, it's like, they don't realize it. That used to be me. Some of you still nod like, maybe that is still me. I'm leading my community group right now, and man, if you're in my community group, you hate the fact that I lead our community group because I do not do well getting people to talk because I will talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I have to really ask God, help me to, to listen. I want to be, that's what it means. Are you a good listener? Do you listen to people? Do you want to hear from people? Are other people's opinion valuable to you? Not violent. That means not a striker. Are you in control of your anger? Man, anger keeps coming up, doesn't it? A good leader, Chuck Swindoll said, knows how to take the heat without spreading the flames. I like that. Take the heat without spreading the flames. Chief, we talked about at the police training that day about de-escalating. Chief, how many, how many uh, conflicts and incidents happen, do you think, in America with police officers uh, because a lack of training on de-escalating? I think a lot of that plays into got a person they're volatile they're angry they felt like they've been disrespected or maybe there's something else going on maybe there's mental health it takes a really good leader to be able to say hey 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 i, I want to help it, you you run in somewhere swinging your authority around man it's just not going to go well see that all the time i'm grateful we have jason as our chief of police he does a great job training his officers You're not violent. You're gentle. That's another one. A man softened by God's grace. This is called sweet reasonableness in one translation. Don't you like that? Man, an elder, a pastor, an overseer ought to have a sweet reasonableness or graciousness. One who quickly and easily forgives. You don't keep a list. You don't hold a grudge. You can accept criticism. You can welcome criticism. You're not hot-headed. You're seasoned with grace. Disagreement doesn't make you feel threatened. You know what, guys? I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there because I have some more things to say about this, and I don't want to rush this. This is far enough for us to go today um, because what I want to do next is help everybody and invite everybody in the congregation to participate in this, okay? So let's hit the pause button on this sermon outline. I think God wants to do something different maybe next week. Uh, but for today, I'm going to give you a shameless plug for something that we're going to do on fifth Sundays coming up in a few weeks. I hope you guys are able to come to our fifth Sundays. You know, we have a free lunch on those days, and it's an amazing time. It's something we don't get to do very often. We give all our ambassadors in the back a break. It's a family service where children are invited and welcome to attend with their families. It's shorter for that reason, okay? Uh, and we, we've made a decision to have some of these fifth Sundays inside now because of the heat and the unpredictability of the weather and because we use PowerPoint sometimes and we can't do that outside so we're going to have a fifth Sunday. I think it's, it's it April 30th or 31st? 30th. It's going to be a fifth Sunday. And here, here's one of the big things we do at fifth Sundays. We, we conduct baptisms. We introduce new members, and we welcome them into the fellowship. And listen, guys, a lay elder is his, his desire and his commitment and his loyalty is to God first and then to his family, obviously, and then to the church. He's committed. He's all in. All right? He's all in. 
he's committed. And because of that, we want the people who nominate elders to be all in too. So what do you think I'm about to say? You have to be a member to nominate. And I, I pray that's not offensive to you, especially if you've been somebody who has faithfully attended this church. Maybe you serve here, you attend here every week, maybe, maybe even you give, but you haven't taken that step of commitment that we call membership. I pray you're not offended by this. I pray you're encouraged by it. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? Take that step. Take that step. In fact, we're going to open the, the floor for three weeks. You can nominate. And listen, two Sundays from now is our fifth Sunday. That means if you want to participate in the nomination process, you still have time. You can join our church. All you have to do is sign up to attend a membership meeting at my house, free lunch from Tijuana Flats. How about that? If you're curious to know what does it mean to sign up to be a member or if you're ready to be baptized and want to hear about that, you sign up. I think we'll have that in the announcements too, Matt, right? You, and if we don't, you can just talk to me and I'll write you down. You can sign up. Child care is included. You come to your pastor's house, all right? You can check out my qualifications and see if everybody in my family hates me, okay? You come to my house. You get a free lunch. We talk about membership. We talk about our story. We talk about our testimony. We talk about the culture here. We talk about the gospel. We talk about where we're headed. Uh, and you know what? You share your testimony. Meet with a leader. Read the membership book. Bam, you're in. And you can nominate somebody. So I want to invite you to do that and at the end of this service we have I'm gonna put it up here here's what I want you to do we have these forms okay and this is this is how you nominate a lay elder and I, I need to explain this to a lay elder Matt and I serve as pastors at this church uh, Matt hasn't been ordained in the ministry we want to do that for him later after we've had we've had over a year now to observe him um, so far he's doing okay don't you think yeah meeting the qualifications yeah amen praise God but he's not an ordained pastor yet okay uh, these men who serve as lay elders have been ordained because they're they're elders here but a lay elder doesn't get paid okay they're not on the payroll and we need that listen I'll be the first one to tell you we need people who are serving alongside of me and help me make decisions and cast vision that are going to be long-lasting with their impact on this church who don't get paid that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, you understand why. That's good, right? So lay elders, uh, they don't get paid. They don't clock in for the church. They, they, they have different vocational callings. Mike serves at Chick-fil-A. Steve's retired. Bill serves as a house inspector. Uh, Cliff owned and operated a salvage yard for years, right? These men have, have worked, conducted themselves with, with respect. They've managed their home well, but a lay elder isn't on the payroll. So we're asking you, inviting you to join us in this, in this task of nominating lay elders. And you're going to be given one of these sheets of paper. You write down your name, and you write down however many people you want to nominate. You can fold it if you're worried about privacy, and you can drop it in that offering box in the back when you leave here today. Or if you want to just hang on to that, we'll have them every week for the next three weeks. You can hold on to that, and you can pray, and you can think. But ask yourself this question. Is this a man, no, that's, that probably sounds weird, is this a man that I would want to marry my daughter? That could have problems, okay? <laughs> Just think, <it's laughs> man, I love you guys. This is the best church in the world. Ask yourself, is this the person that God would want to entrust to care and serve his bride, the church, okay? Ask yourself those questions. And, uh, and I'm, I really am closing now. I'm closing with this. Again, Jesus Christ is our righteousness. 
I can tell you this, all 16 of these characteristics, man, uh, in word or in deed or in spirit or in temptation with a passing thought, I've, been, I've, I've fallen in them. I'm guilty. It's not anything that would disqualify me from permanent ministry or I wouldn't be up here and I wouldn't be a lay elder uh, or an elder. But I've fallen short because only Jesus meets those qualifications, right? He is, we are all under shepherds. We're all under, under shepherds of the chief shepherd. We're trusting in his righteousness to cover us, to cleanse us, to rescue us. We're not trusting in our own righteousness. The Bible says there are none righteous. And that includes this leader right here standing in front of you. And that includes every other leader. And this includes every person. Let's just be honest. Every person in the world except Jesus, right? So we are trusting at the end of the day in his righteousness, his atoning work, his finished work on the cross, his resurrection. Grateful for that, man. Without the imputed righteousness of Christ, we would have absolutely no hope. So I just want, I always want to end uh, with the gospel and close with the gospel. I hope that you are trusting in the finished work of Jesus too. I hope that you're trusting in his righteousness because the Bible says we must be perfect as God is perfect, right? And we all got a problem. We're not. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The standard is perfection. We have fallen short. Thank God Jesus was sent to live the perfect life that we could not and would not live and to die the sacrificial death to absorb God's punishment for sinners like us. And then he resurrected. We celebrated last week. And every week, he ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father. It's finished. Are you trusting him, his perfect record, or are you trusting your, your own? Hopefully, you're not trusting mine. We have to, to go back to that, trust in Jesus alone. Hope you're doing that today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this calling on our life, Lord. And thank you for the qualifications that you have given us that are so clear in the Bible. They're so clear, Lord, and, and they're beautiful to us. And Lord, they're, they're not just qualifications for men to be elders. This, you've told us that shepherds are examples to the flock. And therefore, to one degree or another, all of these should be aspiring qualities that people in this congregation should strive towards. And I pray that we would, Lord. I pray that every elder serving at this church could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We would be a type, we would be a model, we'd be an example that we could take any elder at this church and say to a new Christian, hey, look, if you know what kind of life you should live as a new believer, follow this, look to this, imitate this, because we're just following the chief shepherd together. I pray for our church, Lord. I pray that You would bless this process. You would give wisdom and discernment and discretion to all the people, Lord, who are going to nominate new lay elders for this church. It would be your choice, Lord. It would be so clear and evident that you would give us unity. You would give us humility. And I thank you for the elders that are serving now. Thank you, Lord, for Steve and his wife, Beth. I thank you for Bill and his wife, Christy. Pray for them as they're up in Arkansas serving you. I thank you. For Cliff, Lord, and his wife, Bree, I thank you for Mike and his wife, Christina. I thank you for all these men, Lord, and some of them will be rotating off uh, this year. You're calling them to other places to serve. I'm thankful they're all leaving with a good testimony, and they're all leaving, Lord. We're united. I love them. They love me. They love this church. We're grateful for them, Lord. Good friendships, no scandals, no conflict. 
grateful for these men, Lord. I pray your blessing would accompany them. Thank you for the investment they've made at Grace Life Church, Lord. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.